Section 14 of The Memorable Thoughts of Socrates by Xenophon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. The Memorable Thoughts of Socrates by Xenophon. Translated by Edward Bish. Book 2, Chapter 7. Socrates showeth Aristarchus how to get rid of poverty. Socrates had an extreme tenderness for his friends, and if through imprudence they fell into any misfortune, he endeavoured to comfort them by his good counsels. If they laboured under poverty, he did all he could to relieve them, teaching all men that they ought mutually to assist one another in necessity. I will set down some examples of his behaviour in these occasions. Meeting Aristarchus, who looked very dejected, he said to him, I see, Aristarchus, that something troubles you, but impart the cause of your grief to your friends, and perhaps we may comfort you. Indeed, said he, I am in great affliction, for since the late troubles, many persons having fled for shelter to the Piraeus, it has so fallen out that my sisters, nieces, and cousins have all thrown themselves upon me, so that I have no less than fourteen of them to maintain. You know very well that we receive no profit of our lands, the enemies being masters of the open country. Our houses in the city are uninhabited, there being at present very little company in Athens. Nobody will buy any goods, no man will lend money upon any interest whatever, and I believe we may as soon take it up in the middle of the streets as to find where to borrow it. And I am much concerned that I shall not be able to assist my relations, whom I see ready to perish, while it is impossible for me to maintain them in the present scarcity of all things. Socrates, having heard him patiently, said to him, How comes it to pass that Ceremon, who has so many persons in his family, finds means not only to maintain them, but likewise to enrich himself by the profit he makes of them, and that you are afraid of starving to death, because you have a great many in your family? The reason, answered Aristarchus, is this. Ceremon has none but slaves to take care of, and I am to provide for persons who are free. Socrates went on. For which have you most esteem, for Ceremon's slaves, or for the persons who are at your house? There is no comparison between them, said Aristarchus. Is it not then a shameful thing, replied Socrates? that Ceremon should grow rich by means of those whom you acknowledge to be of less value, and that you should grow poor and be reduced to straits, though you keep men of condition in your house, whom you value more? By no means, said Aristarchus. There is a wide difference betwixt the two. The slaves that Ceremon keeps follow some trades, but the persons I have with me have had a liberal education and follow none. May not he, replied Socrates, who knows how to do anything that is useful, be said to know a trade? Yes, certainly. And are not, continued Socrates, oatmeal, bread, the clothes of men and women, cassocks, coats, and other the like manufactures, things very useful? Without doubt. And do not the persons at your house know how to make any of these things? On the contrary, said Aristarchus, I believe they know how to make all of them. 
What are you then afraid of? added Socrates. Why do you complain of poverty, since you know how to get rich? Do not you observe how wealthy Norcidides is become? What numerous herds he is master of? And what vast sums he lends the Republic? Now what makes this man so rich? Why, nothing but one of those manufactures we mentioned, that of making oatmeal. You see too that Serthes keeps all his family and lives at his ease upon what he has got by being a baker. And how doth Demias of the village of Colotus get his livelihood? By making cassocks. What makes Menon live so comfortably? His cloak manufacture. And are not most of the inhabitants of Megara in good circumstances enough by the trade which they drive of coats and short jackets? I grant all this, said Aristarchus, but still there is a difference betwixt these persons and me, for whereas they have had with them some barbarians whom they have bought and compelled to work what brings them in gain, I, for my part, keep only ladies and gentlemen at my house, persons who are free, and some of them my own relations. Now would you have me to set them to work? And because they are free and your relations, said Socrates, do you think they ought to do nothing but eat and sleep? Do you observe that they, who live thus idle and at their ease, lead more comfortable lives than others? Do you think them more content, more cheerful, that is to say, more happy than those who employ themselves in any of those manufactures we have mentioned, or in whatever else tends to the utility or convenience of life? Do you imagine that idleness and laziness contribute towards our learning things necessary? That they can enable us to retain those things we have already learnt? That they help to strengthen the body or keep it in health? That they can assist us to get riches or keep what we have got already? And do you believe that labour and industry are good for nothing? Why did your ladies learn what you say they know? Did they believe them to be useless things? and had they resolved never to put them in practice? Or, on the contrary, was it with design to employ themselves in those matters, and to get something by them? Is it a greater piece of wisdom to sit still and do nothing, than to busy oneself in things that are of use in life, and that turn to account? And is it not more reasonable for a man to work, than to be with his arms across, thinking how he shall do to live? Shall I tell you my mind, Aristarchus? Well, then, I am of opinion that in the condition you are in, you cannot love your guests, nor they you for this reason, that you, on the one hand, feel they are a burden to you, and they, on the other, perceive you uneasy and discontented on their account. And it is to be feared that the discontent will increase on both sides, and that the sense of past favours will wear off. But when you set them to work, you will begin to love them, because they will bring you some profit, and when they find that you regard them with more complacency, they will not fail to have more love for you. The remembrance of your kindnesses will be more grateful to them, and the obligations they have to you will be the greater. In a word, you will be kinder relations and better friends. Indeed, if what they were to do was a thing worthy of blame, it would be better to die than to think of it. But what they can do is honourable and becoming of their sex, and whoever knows how to do a thing well 
will acquit himself of it with honour and pleasure. Therefore, defer no longer to make the proposal to them, since it will be so advantageous to all of you, and be assured they will receive it with joy and pleasure. Good God, what a fine scheme you have proposed! Indeed, I cannot but approve of it. Nay, it has made such a wonderful impression on my mind, that whereas I was lately against borrowing money at all, because I saw that when I had spent it, I should not be in a condition to repay it, I am now resolved to go try where I can take some up on any terms, to buy tools and other materials, to set ourselves to work. What was proposed was forthwith executed. Aristarchus bought what he wanted, he laid in a provision of wool, and the ladies worked from morning to night. This occupation diverted their melancholy, and, instead of the uneasiness there was before between them and Aristarchus, they began to live in a reciprocal satisfaction. The ladies loved him as their protector, and he considered them as persons who were very useful and necessary to him. To conclude, some time afterwards Aristarchus came to see Socrates, and related the whole matter to him with great content, and told him the women began to complain that none but he was idle. Why do you not put them in mind, said Socrates, of the fable of the dog? For, in the days when beasts could speak, according to the fable, the sheep said to her master, You are a strange man. We yield you wool, lambs, and cheeses, and yet you give us nothing but what we can get upon the ground, and the dog, who brings you in no profit, is kindly used, for you feed him with the same bread you eat yourself. The dog, overhearing this complaint, answered her, It is not without reason that I am used so well. It is I who protect you. It is I who hinder thieves from taking you away, and wolves from sucking your blood. If I were not always keeping watch about you, you would not dare so much as to go to feed. This answer was the reason that the sheep yielded freely to the dog the honour they pretended to before. In like manner, do you also let these ladies know that it is you who are their guardian and protector, and that you watch over them for their safety with as much care as a faithful and courageous dog watcheth over a herd committed to his charge. Tell them that because of you no man dares hurt them, and that it is by your means that they live at ease and in safety. End of section 14